0: And here we are dealing with the transformation of the soul, part two. Let's look right in the word of God. Scripture uh, that we'll be reading today is 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. And it says, Now may the God of peace, that's nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing lacking, everything in divine order, the God of peace himself, sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second part of that again, and may your whole spirit, that means no fragmentation and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note that in our experience as believers, uh, people of faith, people that have sat under the word, that there is a huge emphasis that is placed on the things of the spirit, our eternal spirit, who we are as a spirit, um, who we are in faith. But just throughout my tenure in walking with the Lord and sitting under different leaders and being a part of different ministries, there is not much emphasis, uh, if any, that is ever made on the soul or even the body, uh, where we're supposed to eat healthy and walk uh, and run and do cardio and workout and things like that. It seems that all of the emphasis is on the spirit, which is exactly why we're taking this segue into this series on the soul because as we look at our souls we come to recognize that so much of what we experience and so much of who we are as people is really encased in the soul not the spirit not even the body but the soul itself so it is extremely important for us as we are moving into another level of wholeness another level of dominion another level of execution that we deal With our souls. Uh, John 8.32 says this, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Again, and you shall know the truth. In other words, truth in and of itself is objective. It's standalone, but it does not become efficacious in your process of freedom and deliverance until you know it, which means that people that are ensnared have to go about the process of knowing and applying truth in order for there to be freedom. All right. So it's in honor of that, that we're going to take this look at the soul. Mankind is tripartite, which means that we are a spirit, that we possess a soul and we live in the body. Our body is both the house of our soul and spirit, and it is also the temple of the Holy Spirit that we have received from God. The soul is the center or the uh, control center of our mind, our will and our emotions. The mind refers to aspects of our intellect and our consciousness, which manifest as an amalgamation of thought, of memory, of perception, of emotion, of will, and imagination. So if we're just using those words as a whole, it gives us tremendous insight into the power of the soul and the reason why it is necessary that we put some focus on the soul to make sure that our souls are intact. Our soul is more than just something longing for a heavenly heavenly home. Our soul is literally the driving force of who we are uh, as it relates to and pertains to the earth, all right? Uh, This also includes the brain's conscious, subconscious and unconscious cognitive processes. So those are three layers of the mind's function, the conscious, the subconscious, and the unconscious. All of these processes are being employed by the mind at the same time. And together, all of these things that I just mentioned create our reality. So uh, it's amazing to think that so many things go into just the one word reality. What we walk away from thinking and feeling and receiving as real. Sigmund Freud, as a founder of Psychological Thought, broke it down this way in terms of how we use and engage these three levels of the mind. He said 10% of the time we're using our conscious mind, which is the ability to direct our focus. It is also the ability to imagine what is not real. 50 to 60% we engage the subconscious level of our mind, which is the storage point for memories that need to be accessed for quick recall. And then he said 30 to 40 percent of the time we engage the unconscious level of our minds where everything is stored. He also says that there are three components to the human psyche or soul. We have the id, which is the uh, instinctual desire. It's the pleasure principle. It's present at birth and it is only concerned with bodily needs, wants, desires, innate sexual or aggressive drives and the overall human or self gratification. Then we have the superego, which is our moral deciphering mechanism. It has our cultural rules, which are mainly taught to us by parents, but more specifically by the male parent. It is the voice of conscience. And then we have the ego, which is the reality agent that mediates between the id and the superego. It balances the id and mediates between the id and reality. So in other words, you might see uh, something that somebody has that you really want. A pair of shoes, uh, a car, or something that's in their possession. It is this particular part of the personality that stops you from just going and taking it from them and then gives you a plan to kind of work towards developing uh, the economy or the wherewithal to get it yourself and purchase it for yourself. That is the ego that causes that particular part of your personality to work. The ego also includes the personality structures for defense, for perception, for intellect and all executive functions. So the Bible puts the responsibility on us for how we keep our vessels. We are admonished to renew our minds, which takes in the entire psychological breakdown and construct of what we just explained. It's more than Bible memory. And I think sometimes when we think of renewing our minds in the word of God, we literally just consider taking scriptures and applying them to memory. But it's more than that, because we're talking about our perception. We're talking about our rationale. We're talking about our emotions. We're talking about how uh, our instincts are governed and managed. We're talking about innate drives and desires. All of these things are housed within the minds. So when the Bible tells us that our minds have to be renewed and that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Beloved, it's not just saying you have a thought to do something bad and you replace it with a scripture that talks about doing something good. No, it means that there has to be uh, a measure of uh, surgery. Uh, there has to be an interrogation of the soul. There has to be an investigation of the soul to figure out all of the things that are innate, the things that are intrinsic to us that are not conducive or commensurate with where we need to be concerning who we are in Christ and the Word of God. Somebody shout, Amen. All right. We have to take. Uh, we have to take an introspective look into the depths of our souls and our beings and we have to lay them bare to the word of God and the truth of who God is and what he has said. When your education, your culture, your experience, your vocation or your interests supersede the proper placement and emphasis of the word of God, then you are going to be relegated to carnal and fleshly cycles of existence that will always inhibit and stagnate true transformation. So what am I saying? I'm saying that you have to do more than look at this in a surface way. Now, watch this. We talk about mental ascent. We talk about how, uh, as Christians, we are trained to have the right confession. We are trained to have the right responses. We're trained to look a certain way. Uh, We're trained to act a certain way. We're trained to, to be. Loving or to be like Jesus, and all of the superficial things that we ascribe to what our experience in Christianity is like. But many times, we need to take uh, the power and the truth of the Word of God and we need to bring it to a deeper level. Because the reality is, when we're dealing with the transformation of the soul, we're not just dealing with your surface level interactions and interfaces with the rest of humanity or with the people that are in your social or spiritual circles. We're dealing with who we are as individuals. We're dealing with the inner voices that nobody hears. We're dealing with the inner drives and the inner compulsions that make us who we are. We're dealing with the parts of us that we might think and feel and consider or desire things that we would never even admit to another person. That's the place where we have to apply the word of God for real transformation because the reality is whether we are overtly manifesting or living those things out, that creates one dilemma or if we have gone about the business of consistently and persistently suppressing those things, it still creates another dilemma. Just because you're not acting it out doesn't mean that it's not an integral part of your personality or who you are. So when the scripture tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that we want the God of peace to sanctify us wholly, and we want him to preserve our body, our soul, and our spirit, we're not talking about a superficial work. We're not talking about a work that's going to appease the opinions of others. We're not talking about a work that's just going to make us feel good about the uh, level of progress that we may have in something that we have dubbed spiritual maturity or growth. But I'm talking about gut-wrenching, heart-level truth-filled experiences and encounters that cause a confirmation of the soul into Christ's likeness. When we receive the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, our spirits are instantly changed. Our spirits are instantly uh, shifted from death to life, from darkness to light, from, uh, from mortality to immortality, from Satan to God. We instantly, in the realm of the Spirit, become a new species. We become a new creature. We become a New creation. We become a new founded reality of God in creation. We become his DNA. We become his offspring. But when we're dealing with the the process of the transformation of the soul, nothing in the Word of God tells us that that's instant. The Bible talks to us about the features of our personality and puts the onus on us to make sure that we are being governed and governed and disciplined by a conduct, a role of conduct, a mode of conduct that ensures that the process to save our souls is actually complete. We cannot rest on the instant salvation of the spirit and think that it spills over into what is meant to be a process of the soul. The word of God is our agent of transformation. That means that there are things that we accept, that we perceive as reality, that we rehearse in our minds, that we replay over and over again, which all contribute to the realities that govern our lives, that we must intercept and diligently apply the word of God to in order to break the cycle and begin the healing and restoration process. Now, the agent of transformation is only the word of God. Only the word of God is able to do it. Hebrews 4:12 through 13 says, For the word of God is living, and it is powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is pierces, or it pierces even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. The dialogue begins with referencing the Word of God, the Logos, the concept, but then it begins to talk about the Word of God as the man, Christ Jesus. It says that there is no creature that is hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account, which is why we have to delve deep into the Word. Why? Because the Word of God is its own discerner. It is the epitome of truth. It is the fullness and the full manifestation of the Godhead written in script. And so as we allow ourselves to go into the word and allow the word to have its work in us, we're going to encounter truth in a way that we never encounter it when we only rehearse our own thoughts and feelings. And so many people are stuck in ruts. They are stuck in ruts of a performance. They are stuck in ruts of a facade. They are stuck in ruts of not being true to themselves or true to their feelings. Why? Because they feel that there are things that they have to measure are up to. They feel that there's criteria. They feel that there are expectations. And so they live their lives going through uh, routines and cycles of public success in some ways and private failures because they have not allowed the truth of the word to sit on them long enough to bring a transformation to the mind and to the soul. We have to apply the word of God to every single area of what we accept. We have to apply the word of God to every area of how we perceive Things And what our realities are because we uh, studied just a few minutes ago how there is a part of the soul, how the id literally creates reality. That means that you can sit down in a room and tell yourself something and you can believe it. You can sit down in a room and you can create a feeling about something, and you will literally feel that feeling to the point that you accept the feeling as true. You may not have an experience. In fact, the experience that you had that you might be replaying over and over and over in your mind could literally have already stopped. People could have moved on, things could have been different. But because you have not applied truth to that area of the soul, the only thing you know is what you have told yourself. What you have on repeat. In order for your life to change, for what you feel, for what you think, for what you experience to change, the Word of God, the engrafted Word, has got to get into the soul. It's got to get out of your spirit. It's got to get out of the atmosphere of being declared over you in a sermon. It has to get out of the uh, arena of just things that you look at from time to time and pass. And the Word has got to take root. It's got to go deep into you. And more specifically, it's got to go deep into the encounters and in the experiences where you have had disappointments and upsets and you have had betrayals and hurts and you have had grief because if you only bury things on top of those areas, you learn to live life on a superficial level instead of a level of peace and wholeness where the God of peace is looking to bring you into full sanctification and separation. Uh, Dr. Sidel Barnes, who was the deliverance minister, among other things, that Without Walls International Church in Tampa, Florida, where uh, at that time, Pastor uh, Randy White and uh, Pastor Paula White were the pastors. Um, She led the deliverance ministry and I uh, sought her ministry out when I was there in 1999 and she began to teach me and talk to me about the process of deliverance. And I was dealing with a very specific instance in my life where I felt that there was some demonic infiltration and encroachment. And she said, by faith, you've got to go back to the very experience where that thing happened. you got to go back to the place by faith and in prayer where that door was open to the enemy and the enemy was able to come in. And you have to take the word of God and you have to apply it to that instance and you have to sever that tie and sever that connection and then you have to seal the door. Now watch this. She didn't tell me to just get a few confessions and confess him and say it's done and it's over and, and dance or run around or spin around or, or write that it's, that I'm free and throw it up in the air and catch it and then start dancing. She didn't say any of that. She said, you have to revisit the trauma. You have to revisit the experience. And I know for Christians, particularly people of faith, we want to just say we're over it. We want to say that it's just good. But we fail to realize that many times those same experiences are still speaking into our lives. They're speaking from an old season into our present. They are creating self-fulfilling prophecies. Why? Because our soul is Full of the trauma and the consequences of the trauma. But if we're going to transform the soul, we have to get to the place where we intercept the cycle, where we break the pattern, where we stop the auto programming of what has been put in the soul so that we can change the output of the soul. We have to take the word of God, go back to the trauma, go back to the disappointment, go back to the fear, go back to the experience, go back to the thing that made you cry, go back to the thing that intimidated you, go back to the thing that made you feel insecure and you have to find the word of God in it and you have to apply that truth to that area so that the truth can set you free. It's not you that set yourself free. It's not just an atmosphere that sets you free, but it is the word of God, the truth of God and the application of that truth that sets you free. Somebody shout hallelujah, set me free. There are things that you are telling yourself that are not true. Sit there in that for a minute. There are things that you tell yourself. There are things that you rehearse within yourself. You know, one thing that I found about human nature is that we believe our own voices. So if you can think it, if you can hear it, if you can feel it in your own voice, it becomes a reality to you that you believe above and beyond everything else. People have felt their um, themselves out of ministry. They have felt themselves out of a marriage. They have felt themselves out of business deals. I had a feeling and I just felt like I should do this. I just felt like I should jump off of this uh, this mountain. I felt like I should jump off of this bridge. All right. There are things that you feel that are not true. And if we are believers in the Bible, the only truth that we have is the objective truth of the word of God. Now you have your truth, but your truth is only relative to your experience and it's only true to the extent that you have not allowed God's truth to reveal the real truth to your relative truth. You got to come to the place where you see the real truth of God. There are feelings and emotions that you safeguard, which are like tributaries that pour into the ocean of your life that you should have stopped feeling a long time ago. Can you think about that for a second? That there are things that you hold sacred. There are thoughts, there are feelings, there are experiences, there are things that you hold dear that shape you but stagnate you that you need to divorce, that you have yet to divorce. You can't just say, I'm over it. You can't just quote a scripture. You got to get to the root of it and lay an ax to the root of it because that's where the word of God has to be applied in order to set us free indeed, right? Okay, there are belief systems that are fortified by resolves and resolutions that you have made internally that are all placed there just to circumvent the true process of your healing. Imagine being hurt and saying, I'm never gonna go through that again. Well, what you really just did was put up a wall that keeps you at arm's length away from really genuinely and wholly engaging another person or situation that mirrors and reflects the one where you made the resolve. It's a hindrance to the true process of healing. What we have dubbed healing is really just moving on often with a new resolve. I'll never go through that again. I'll never give them that part of me again. I'll never be that committed again. I'll never yield My heart and my life in that way again, not realizing that making these resolves literally builds up walls that God can't even penetrate. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. But there are times when he'll have to put you through a process to show you that the walls are even there to give you access to the walls to let them down so that he can come in. There's not much that he's going to do arbitrary when it comes to us and our souls because he's given us the keys and the access to seek him for the healing and the deliverance. There are some people that want to be bound. There are some people that would rather remain damaged, right? You have to be willing to narrow down and confront each issue. You may have an issue with your spiritual father because you've had an issue with your natural father. Anybody consider that? That's why I... I, I know that I'm a spiritual father and I thank God for the, the sons and daughters that I have, but there's more to me than just being pops. There's more to me than just being a father, especially if your reference point for pops and a father is not a good one. Because subconsciously, which uh, we establish is a bigger percentage of the level that we engage mentally than our conscious per uh, percentage, subconsciously, you're putting me in a paradigm of the same level of expectation that you have in the failed relationship or the not so good relationship with the natural father. You gotta see me as more than a father. You gotta see me as the leader or the mentor or the teacher or the apostle so that you can be a recipient of who God has set me in your life to be, not just a substitute for the father that you never had or the one that you had that wasn't that good. Somebody say amen, right? You can smile, but you may be harboring resentment. You won't ever be able to have a pure relationship with your father or move that spiritual father or move on from the disappointment of your natural father until the areas of disappointment, of hurt, of confusion, of rejection, of abandonment or or, or abuse or whatever it is until they are confronted and healed. You can't just move on from it. You've got to deal with it because the voice of it is speaking to you. It's governing your interactions. It's setting your expectations. It's creating what you hope to receive in in return. People lock things in their subconscious mind in order to create barriers for change when change is too uncomfortable. I'm going to say that again. People lock things in their subconscious mind in order to create barriers to change when change is too uncomfortable. They are familiar with the hurt, they're familiar with the pain, they're familiar with the anger and the disappointment, and they would rather feel that than the vulnerability of really being uh, in a trusting place again. I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that. Some people are disingenuously going through life. Some of them serve in ministry. Some of them lead in ministry. They serve in the kingdom of God. They work around your church. They work in businesses. They impact and influence your life. They serve leaders, but they do all that they do from the principle and standpoint of distrust, deception, and distraction because they're not real with themselves. They get consumed with ministry to distract them from what's actually going on inside of them because they can't handle what they feel and what they really think. See, I'm convinced that the way that we are in Christ, we can get over anything. And sometimes that's my motto. We gotta get over it. We gotta get through it. We gotta find the solution. We gotta find the resolution. We gotta find the godly resolve because I've seen far too often how people can be stuck. They can be stuck in a mental rut, stuck in an emotional rut. And until they are confronted with truth, They will remain stuck. People like that that are in this predicament sometimes see years go by. They still think the same. They still feel the same without any real uh, transformation. What do they do? They create more resolve on top of the resolve they've already created. And they use it to cover up what's still really there. This is the season for the transformation of the soul. It's the season to take the word and to apply the word to the deepest, most innermost experiences that we have had in our lives. Places of pain, places of turbulence, places of fear, places where we lack godly resolve. And we have to allow the word to unearth this and to dig this stuff out of us and then to bring us to the place of wholeness and full sanctification. Galatians 5, starting at 16, says this, I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. Now, the soul mind, will, and emotions, and all the other things that we've listed from our psychological perspective is in the middle of the spirit and the flesh. And the soul follows whichever part of your spirit or flesh is the strongest. So in the way that your ego balances between the id and the superego, the soul balances in between your flesh and your spirit. Scripture says this, For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred. Did I hit your hot button in your soul yet? Hatred, contentions. You ever meet a contentious person? Uh. Never any agreement. It's just they're bent on being an opposing voice and force. They're bent on having issues. They're bent on seeing it uh, from a perspective other than how it's being established. Contentions, jealousies. That's a hot button that a lot of people don't want to deal with, but it is real. Sometimes people are jealous that they're not you. They're envious of your influence. They're envious of your platform. They're envious of how people cater to you, and they feel... uh, Some kind of way that it's not them. Outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions, which deals with division. Heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Watch this. This is where I'm going. But the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We talked about how passions and desires actually are emanations of the soul. They come out of the personality. They come out of the id. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So I'm gonna read 22 again, but the fruit of the spirit, This is what should emanate out of the core of our being. So when the God of peace sanctifies us wholly and preserves us body, soul, and spirit from the innermost part of our being, the silent voice that nobody hears, the silent emotion that we never express, the drive, the compulsion, all of those things that come from within us will be love, will be joy, will be peace, will be long-suffering. So when you're on the edge and I can't take this anymore and if they say this again and I'm going to blow up and this is going to happen, then you're not exercising the fruit of long-suffering, which means the fruit of long-suffering is not inside of you because these are things that have to be innate in the life of the believer. This is what it means that we have crucified ourselves and we put on Christ. We literally... Uh, Are transformed, but from the inside out. What comes out of us innately and inherently and intrinsically has to be according to this fruit if truly the Spirit and the Word of God are on the inside of us. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such there is no law. So as we close this second installment out, I'm just going to pray, Father, quickly. Thank you for your word, and I pray for the transformation of our souls. Let the word of God, let us hunger so desperately for the word, the ingrafted word. Let us receive the ingrafted word that is able to convert and save our souls. We want to be whole, body, soul, and spirit. We want to be whole. We pray this and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want you to have a good day. Be transformed. Be made.